every camp that I get the opportunity to speak at, I walk in on Monday night. Thanks, brother. I walk in on Monday night, and I don't know how to address you. I, I feel like I want to caution you. I, I, want to, I want to warn you. I don't want to wear you out on the first night. I am, I am growing like a weed. I have never been stretched in my life like I have been stretched in the last six months. I long, I long for that in your life. Man, if you knew that. I sense, I have no, I have no prophetic insight. But I sense God wants to do something in this generation like he has never done before. And I want to follow you in that. I want to walk with you in that. If you knew what this week means to me, I look in the New Testament and I see how God bursts in on the scene and shocks His world. You are not prepared tonight. <laughs> he is going to shock you this week. He is going to interrupt your life. I'm your biggest fan this week. I'm your biggest cheerleader. I am rooting you on. And I want to seek right beside you. Call me Jeremiah. Uh, I consider myself your peer. And I'm hungry. I'm hungry to grow. And I'm not done growing. Would you seek with me this week? I'm talking down to it, flat out. Just, mmm. Like you seek after nothing else in your life. Teenager, would you realize what it would be like if you would burn after him like you burn in your sex drive? Like you burn in your hunger for food? Do you know what would happen to your world? You don't have to know what you're doing. You don't have to know where you're going. You don't have to have talent. You don't have to have spiritual insight. You don't have to have direction. Just sit there and burn and watch your world be transformed. I want that like no other thing in my life. Because I'm so tired of the mundane, and I'm so tired of the religion, I'm so tired of church services where there is empty praise, where we hear the word of the Lord and we go out and there's no difference in our life. I'm so tired of that. I'm not allowing it to go on in my life anymore. I want to offer you the opportunity uh, this evening to seek with me. And... Uh, uh, been cutting down some of my messages so they're not so long, which hopefully will please us. And uh, I want to share with you out of John chapter 4 this evening. And it's a, it's a passage that's uh, brand new to me, and I've been growing in it. It's John chapter 4, verses uh, 43 through 45, and it's, it's kind of like a, a preparatory statement uh, to the actual passage or the actual story that takes place when Jesus goes in to Galilee, having left from Samaria. And I'm going to read it for us, and then I'm going to pray for us. It is so good to see you. It is so good to see you. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45. Uh, 40, uh, 45. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they also had been there. Father, we love you this evening. I have been coming more aware, Lord, that yesterday is gone, and tomorrow has not yet come, that the moment that I have with you is so crucial. 
I look at the generation before me, Father, and I see hope. I see, uh, I see a people, I see a young people who you are going to change a world, the future leaders of our church. I count it such an honor and a privilege in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would allow me to be used by you in their life. Guard me. Don't let me be a stumbling block to them. I pray, Father, for the sake of your Son and your ministry and your plan as it unfolds this week that you might reveal the truth of your word in these settings. Pray that, Father, I pray, Father, that I'm not distracted by those who maybe are not ready, who don't pay attention like I would like to see them pay attention. I pray, God, that I might not be distracted by those who are distracted. I want to lean on you this week. I don't want to lean on my own abilities, my own, ta my own talent. I want to rely on you and your word. What an opportunity we have tonight, God. Give you the responsibility of this service. And I'm so pleased to be here with you. We all are. And we lift you up. Father, we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45. Uh, it's a really interesting section. Jesus, what he is doing here uh, is he's, been le he's left uh, Samaria. In fact, it says in verse 43, after the two days he left for Galilee. So he spent these two days in Samaria, and we're going to look at that this week, which is really an interesting two days of uh, surprised ministry. But uh, he leaves and he's heading into Galilee. And when you come into verse 44 in my Bible, there's parentheses around that verse, which is really significant because it's kind of like uh, we don't know what to do with that verse. It's added in there. And uh, the way that it's written in the original language of the Bible, we're not really sure when Jesus said this. It's probably sometime when he left Samaria, uh, and, and it happened sometime between the time he left Samaria and he arrived in Galilee. We're not really sure it is, but it's added in there. It's not really a time significance. He wants you to understand, John, is, when he's writing this to us, he's wanting us to understand that Jesus stressed this to his disciples. And I don't know how you're going to respond to this, but this really shook me. This really shook me in my life what he says. Because I probably would have missed this. I probably would have missed this. Jesus looks at his disciples at some point, and he's preparing them. Listen to, what it, listen to how John puts it. Now, Jesus himself, that's emphatic. That means he's, he himself said this. It's, he, he, he sat there, he pointed his finger in their face, his eyes were bulging, and he said, listen. Jesus himself said this, probably. I mean, Jeremiah translation. But Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now, in saying this, obviously, when he's going into his own country, he's referring to himself as a prophet. We're going to talk about that. But it's really interesting why he says this. Going into Galilee, he looks to his disciples and says, Hey, I want to prepare you for this. I want you to understand. I want you to get a hold of this. Hey, I don't want you to... And in spite of all that's going on here, in the midst of all that takes place in Galilee, I do not want you to miss. Now listen, prophet has no honor in his own country. They're not going to honor me. Which I, I kind of felt kind of strange. Because, again, this is kind of like an introduction to the whole ministry in Galilee. And in the very next verse, listen to what John writes. Verse 45. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Now, I, we kind of 
Sometimes our Bibles and the words that we choose to express what's written in the original language doesn't help very well. Because this word welcome is not kind of like a welcome type of thing. It's this sprinting out and embracing him. There is this, there is this radical, I mean, it's, it's like a king has come into the country type of deal. In fact, uh, the word of Jesus, when he comes into Galilee, spreads like wire, wildfire throughout Galilee. And you know this from the, uh, the following, mess, uh, following passage, verse 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal. So as soon as Jesus had come up from Judea and come into Galilee, the word spread so rapidly that all the way over in Capernaum, this fellow hears that Jesus is in town. So you have this... Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. How would you, what would you, how would you uh, identify that? It, excitement? Uh, everyone's talking about him. Jesus comes into town, and everyone, everyone is talking about Jesus. Not only in the surrounding area there, not only in Cana, but it spreads all the way over to uh, Capernaum, and you have a royal official who is in the kind of Herod's house. He's not in the villages. So this is, even, this is spreading everywhere, and you have everyone who's welcoming him, rushing out and greeting him. Now, why I said that and why, uh, why I'm making light of that is because that happens on the tail end of Jesus saying, they're not going to honor me. Which sounds kind of strange, sounds kind of odd, because if I was the disciples, in seeing all the people rush out to see him and the, and, and, the, and the news of Jesus coming into town spreading like wildfire and everyone rushing up to him, people from all, several towns away coming over to see Jesus, I probably would have looked at the other disciples and said, boy, Jesus was wrong on this one. Jesus was wrong. They're not going to honor him. Look, they're hysterical. They're ecstatic about him. And yet in the midst of all that's taking place, hear this, hear this. There is this air of disappointment that Jesus has towards the Galileans. Listen to what he says. For instance, verse 48. Uh, you have this guy comes to him and says, hey, my son's sick, come and heal him. And Jesus says, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. He kind of throws his hands. I do that. He kind of throws his hands, slaps his side. says, unless you see miraculous signs and wonders, you'll never believe. And it's almost, I don't want to say negative attitude, but he's had everybody rush out to see him, and he's, he's still not satisfied. It's like he wants something more. Have you ever felt that? I like praise. I really like praise, the group. And we've been in services, and I've, I've worked with them and for them. Traveled with them practically. And we've been in services where it's just <clears throat> praise and worship. And yet sometimes I've walked out of that service going, what just happened in there? Because it seems like in the midst of our hype, in the midst of, and I can't point it at anybody. I don't know who, what, what the whole deal is, but it's almost there's just this deadness that's going on in the service. Like God is disappointed with our praise. In fact, Jesus is almost sick of it. And uh, it's not only here. I want to show you just two other quick places where this same thing happens with this same group of people. I want you to, and it'll make it more clear for you, I want you to flip back to chapter 2, just two pages in your Bible, to the very last couple of verses in that chapter. Jesus has been in the temple, and I'll give you a little background. He's been in the temple. He's done all these miraculous signs. He stood out. He's, he's grabbed a whip and ran through and cracked a guy over here and cracked a guy over there. And, of course, we always want to do that. And uh, he's flipping over tables, and he's gently ushering out the animals because he loves animals. 
and all this kind of stuff's going on. And this is how some people respond to him. Now listen to this, verse uh, 23. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. In other words, the people saw the things that Jesus was doing and they believed in his name, which, by the way, hey, teenagers, is the sole purpose. It's the goal of the gospel. The reason that Jesus came into the world is that we might believe in him. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, us, that he gave his one and only son. Why? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why he came. So you have Jesus coming into the temple. He's doing these things. He's standing out. He's, he's really like a sore thumb in the midst of that whole scene. And it says, verse 23, that many people saw what he did and believed in his name. But listen to how Jesus responds to him. So crucial. Verse 24. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. In other words, you have a lot of people coming up to him saying, yes, we believe who you are. We want you to be our king. And Jesus says, I don't want to be your king. Kind of walks away from him. Uh, that's back in John chapter 2. That same attitude's taking place in our passage in John chapter 4. And that excited you so much. Let me give you one more. It's in John chapter 6, verse 14. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, the miracle of the multiplication of bread and fish. Listen to this. Verse 14 of chapter 6. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Every time they come to him and say, Yes, you're the one. In fact, this time they were going to run, grab a hold of him and say, Listen, whether you like it or not, we're going to serve you. We're going to make you our king. You're going to be in charge of us. We're going to follow you whether you like it or not. Jesus, you know what he does. You know the story. Tells his disciples to get into the boat. He runs up the side of the mountain. They go out on the lake. He hides out until night. Sneaks down, walks out across the water, scares Peter half to death, gets in the boat, and goes over to Capernaum. That's the scene. He continually rejects their praise. In fact, I kind of search for a title. Uh, I preach, and all I do is tell you what this book says. But the coolest thing about preaching is you get to give title. That's the only part of the whole thing I get to be a part of, or I get to take in charge of. I really thought about, what do you, what do you label this sermon? How would you label John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45? And the only title I could come up with was Jesus looks at the generation of his day and he says, stop praising me. Stop it. Stop cheering me. Stop chanting my name. Stop getting excited about me. Stop crying in the midst of the services. Stop following me around because it makes me sick. That's a really long title. I couldn't fit it on the CD, so we just called it Stop Praising Jesus. Which, that's real aggressive. No one wants to put that on their church sign. Who's coming for revival? Jeremiah on the sign. Stop Praising Jesus. No one's done it yet. But that's what he's saying. Why? I want to look with you, and it's real easy. Two particular words, and we're, we're really done with the study. Two particular aspects of what Jesus says we need to understand, and then we'll understand why he's saying, stop praising me. Stop chanting my name. Stop cheering me. Stop getting all excited. Would you quit it? Because in the midst of that, he looks at them with an air of disappointment. Again, I don't have too much spiritual insight. Prophecy confuses me. 
partly because I'm not that intelligent. The other part is I'm just clueless. Probably go hand in hand. But I read Paul's statement about the people of our... Uh, he tells Timothy before he dies, he says, in the last day, you're going to be faced with a godless, godlessness generation. A godless generation. A people who will be denying the power of God. Have a form of godliness, but denying its power. What would it do to you? Wrestle with this, please. What would it do to you if in the midst of this service, Jesus would have appeared in our worship and looked at you and said, I'm just so disappointed in you. What would that do to our worship? What would that do to my life? What would that do to me as a minister? What would that do to the service? I ain't preaching. <laughs> Give the microphone to Luke. <laughs> He's used to that kind of response anyway. Hey, I, I'm not preaching. <laughs> Or what if they said that? See, that's what this people, that's what these people are facing. And by the time you come to John chapter 6, which we're at the end of that chapter, he tells them that. He says, I'm not going to be your king. I don't want you following me. He tells them the real deal, and then 5,000 walk off. And guess how many are left? Anyone? 12. 12 out of 5,000. That's a church split. That's not good. There's two particular things we've got to get a hold of to understand what Jesus is trying to say here. really want you to get this. It's going to change our life. And it's in verse 44. Jesus, now, Jesus himself said that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Uh, I guess if we're going to understand how Jesus sees himself, and he refers to himself as a prophet, which was a messianic expectation. Uh, in fact, they said surely, in chapter 6, they said surely this is the prophet who's going to come into the world. We probably should understand what Jesus means by saying, hey, I am a prophet. He says, a prophet has no honor. First of all, you uh, know about prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, there's this one prophet, the prophet Jeremiah, and you always listen to the prophet Jeremiah. He came along and was preaching about the uh, Syrian exile. And, uh, of course, there's another prophet named Elijah, and he did this thing on the mountain with a bunch of bulls and some fire and prophets of Baal, which is really neat. And then you have Isaiah. You have Daniel, who was really cool. He was one of the wise guys in Assyria. And uh, you got all these different prophets, and they were really, really interesting. And these were just ordinary men, but they were labeled with the word prophet, which was really, really interesting. The word prophet means really two different things, and it's because of the word and what it stands for. A prophet means before and for, and it has to do with speaking, prophesying. A prophet means before and for. When we talk about prophet in terms of before, that makes sense, because prophets spoke before things took place. We understand that kind of stuff. Jesus did that. Jesus came along, looked at Simon Peter and said, hey, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to do what? You're going to deny me. Oh, it's not going to crow three times. It's going to crow once, you're going to deny me three times. We all missed that, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it could have crowed three times, but probably not. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's what he says. Talked about it before it took place. Um, he talked about, of course, his, uh, his death before it took place. Uh, he talked about, uh, the uh, obviously, the crucifixion, but the resurrection before it took place. He, he talked about all kinds of aspects of his ministry before it took place, which was characteristic of a, a prophet. A prophet was one in the Old Testament who came and spoke before things took place. That's how you knew they were a prophet. That's number one. Now, another aspect of a prophet, which is a little bit more serious and a little bit more crucial, was that they just didn't speak about things before they took place but they spoke for. And who did they speak for? God. 
This is weighty stuff. Uh, I never really caught on to this. I knew about prophets, but when I was studying this passage, began to look at a prophet, really found it interesting. The weight that a prophet carried was phenomenal. You have a prophet by the name of Amos. Uh, a couple years ago, I preached through the book of Amos here, just because I thought Amos. <laughs> he sounds uh, Amish. I think I'll preach through that book. So we began to study it, and we looked at it over a summer or two, and it was phenomenal. He wasn't Amish. But uh, he was, uh, it was a phenomenal book. He was a prophet. He comes up to the people of Israel. He comes from the south. He comes up to the people of Israel. Uh, and he walks into Jerusalem, and he, he stands in the midst of that crowd, and he begins to speak. And he announces that he's a prophet and the people are in fear of him. They are absolutely overwhelmed by him because as a prophet, when he opens his mouth, it is as if God himself is speaking, which was really, really serious. You didn't imitate that kind of stuff. Uh, if you imitated and said you were a prophet and it came to be found that you were not a prophet, they immediately took you outside of the city and stoned you, which was not pleasant. Stoned you to death. Um, not only that, but if you were a prophet, let's say, how serious it is, if you were a prophet, say, for like 30 years, and at one point, after 30 years of prophesying for the Lord, whatever God said, you said it, at one point, you used that power and authority to propagate, to sell something, to say something from yourself and not from God, and it was exposed, which God would always expose you. They were to take you outside and stone you, and not only consider you a false prophet for that, but everything you stood for in your entire life, your family, everything was to consider as a false prophet. So it's serious business. Now, a prophet was one who spoke before things took place. A prophet was one who spoke for God. Now, what's significant about Jesus is Jesus was the fulfillment. Now, get this. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets because Jesus spoke about things before they took place, and Jesus did speak for God, but it was, it was deeper than that. Do you know how John... Oh, I want you to get this. Wrap your minds around this. It'll take you a while. But do you know how John describes Jesus? He doesn't just describe him as a man who spoke the word of God. He said he was, something became flesh. What was it? The word became flesh. With the, uh, understand, the word was the spoken revelation of God. In the Old Testament, the prophets spoke the word of the Lord. They'd stand out and say, thus saith the Lord, and they'd say it, and it was out, and that was the word of the Lord. But Jesus, how John describes Jesus is he says he didn't just speak the word, he was the word. And the idea is, is that there was a point in time, teenager, that God spoke, and don't be offended by me calling you a teenager, there was a point in time that God spoke, and he spoke so powerfully that that word came out of his mouth, went down to earth, took on flesh, and started walking around in front of everybody, and literally lived there for 33 years. So Jesus didn't just speak the word of God, he was the Word of God. When you see Jesus walking with that limp that he walks with down to Galilee, that's how God would walk down to Galilee. When you see Jesus in the temple and he's flipping over tables and he's grabbing a cord and fashioning him into a whip and cracking a guy over here, that's how God feels about the situation in the temple. When Jesus weeps, it's God weeping. Do you understand that? That's phenomenal. He was the full expression of who he is. You want to know what God's up to? Look at Jesus every aspect of his life he was the word of God he was the speaking of God he walked through the campgrounds and said you want to know what God's up to watch me the disciples in the middle of the night they'd peek over at him watch him sleep that's how God slept everything about him was that way he was the word he was the fulfillment of the prophet this is who he was so when you begin to look at Jesus he is the speaking of God to you 
which tells you what's he speaking about. He's speaking about the kind of life that God's called you to, in short. It's what he's been talking about the whole book. Jesus came and was the speaking of God as to how you live, how you are to live. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to walk down the high school? Oh, just put this in your mind. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to walk down the halls of your high school and realize, and realize that the only Jesus those people who are ever going to see is you? That's you, man. The only Jesus, the only God they're ever going to see is you. See, there ain't a chance in this world that God's going to move in their life unless someone comes down there and demonstrates him to them, period. So I was saved. He didn't appear in some burning bush. He didn't speak through some donkey. Didn't come in a cloud. I was living in California. This guy drives by his car, says, hey, you, get in my car. Take you to my house. And I watched Jesus living in him. See, that's what he was speaking. This is the idea behind a prophet. And he looks to his disciples. Now get that. He looks to his disciples. And, and, you know, and kind of a side note, the people uh, are following him because they see that. They're constantly seeing these what they call miraculous signs. They're seeing things that are going on in Jesus that are just absolutely astounding. They're feeling love from him that they've never felt. See, he's embracing prostitutes. The woman in chapter 4, the woman of Samaria, I missed this in all the studies of this. He refers to her in terms of dear woman. In the middle of their conversation, he says, woman, listen to me. And you look at that word and you go back to John chapter 2, it's the same word that Jesus uses to speak to his mother. Jesus goes down to the unlovable and the outcast and the trash of his world and he embraces them like he would his own mother. See, they experience God in him and he has a massive following. The power of God, the insight of God, the knowledge of God, the love of God is demonstrated in this boy. So you have this great group of people that are following him and they're cheering him and they're chanting him. They're saying, he's the one. He's feeding us. He's going to be our king. It's going to be great. He's going to fix all our problems. It's going to be wonderful. Look at all the good things that he's doing. And they're cheering him. And Jesus looks on them with disappointment because they don't quite honor him. You know what honoring is? Uh, this is going to be confusing because honor in our day was not honor in Jesus' day. Uh, I'm a, I was a United States Marine, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and when I went to boot camp, the big thing was honor. Who's going to go in the military by any chance? Anybody? Okay, rethink it or see me. We'll talk about it. <laughs> Just kidding. Military's fine. Um, when we went to boot camp, the big thing was honor. Honor. You know, and, and uh, they had this code, we, you know, this honor code type thing in the butt. And in one of our classes, we, we learned about the, the Marine that just in, embodied. He just, everything about him just is a symbol of honor. And uh, it's our concept of honor. It's a man by the name of Chesty Puller. It's his name. Oh, actually, I don't know the name of Chesty Puller. Yeah, his name is Chesty Puller, but I don't know if Chesty's his real name. Chesty, that's a terrible name. But anyway, his name is Chesty Puller. <laughs> and uh, uh, he was a Marine. And I'll tell you a quick story about this guy. This guy was phenomenal. He's ridiculously phenomenal. Uh, in the Battle of Guadalcanal, which is way before you were born, way before your parents were born, and uh, it's back in the uh, 30s, uh, they were fighting the Japanese, and, the, and they left, uh, they were defending this airport, and uh, 
all the American army went out to meet the Japanese and they left one battalion back to hold the fort. And they were going to go out and fight him and they didn't think that they were going to get through him and all that kind of stuff. And uh, one battalion was only 400 men. Chesty Puller was in that battalion. Well, the Japanese were really smart and they doubled back around and missed the entire military fleet, American fleet going out to fight. And so it was somewhere uh, in the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Japanese who began to attack the airport. Well, all the military and, and all the Marines that were left to guard the airport in Chesty's battalion were about to break and run. Here's the story. Chesty, which is a really neat name, jumps over the fire line and begins to run up and down the length of the line where they had all the guns and the sandbags and that kind of stuff and begins to chant his men on, which he was one of them. He wasn't high, 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 big guy. He was just one of them begins to chant them on, then stops, turns, and takes off and runs by himself dead into the enemy. They fought for two days. True story. Fought for two days and lost 70 men of their 400 and lost 14,000 of the Japanese. He got the Medal of Honor. The Medal of Honor. Because he would throw his life away for what he believed in. He did not give lip service. He stood for what he... It, it was this personal character that drove him. Are you with me? See, this was crucial for him. And we look at that man and say, that man is honor. And we honor him, which is phenomenal. And that's prized in the New Testament. But I want you to understand, that's not... And this is strange, but that's not honor in their day. In their day, it was really weird. Their day, you were not honored. Get this. You were not honored for who you were. You could be an angel. You could be just... I mean, just innocent, you could be wonderful, you could be just law-abiding, you could be great, you could be righteous, but you were not honored by who you were. Do you, do you know who you were honored for? You were given honored, not based on who you were, but based on who your dad was. For instance, God appointed the Levite tribe to be the priest in the temple. The priest had an incredible amount of honor on them. And you could be an absolute cheese ball. Most of them were. But you still had to honor them. Not because of who they were, but because of who their dad was. Jesus looks... Now get this. Jesus looks at the people of his day and says, they're not going to honor me. They're not going to honor me. And the huge struggle that Jesus had in his day was they looked at him as the son of Joseph. In fact, the beginning of the book... And they didn't look... They looked at him as the son of Joseph and not the Son of God. In fact, the whole beginning of the book of Matthew, the first 18 verses, what is that? Roll out. Lineage. Which is to prove what? From the kingly line of David. Which is to prove what? He can sit on the throne. And then he says in verse 18, Jesus was born of God. That was the, how the gospel started. That's what he's trying to say. And Jesus, and which is so crucial, because the people, now get this, they would chant. Why? Because he's this great prophet. They would cheer. Why? Because God's doing great things for him and we love God and it's wonderful. We cheer him on and yes, yes, yes. But Jesus says it's more than that. Do you realize, teenager, you know this. Get a hold of this. That God does not want you to sit there and cheer him on. That dawned on me one day. He doesn't care about how excited you get about what he sees, about what you see him doing through someone else. I mean, there's a place for that, sure. But see, what he is dead after is for you to honor, which is for you to grab a hold of, 
see Him for who He is. And when you see Jesus for who He is, you see who you are called to be. That's honoring. When you look at Jesus and say, whoa, He's a demonstration of God, and you honor Him, you see that you are to be the demonstration of God. I'm so tired of lip service. I'm so tired of singing how good He is and how great He is, praising His name, shouting and cheering about what he's, how good He is and what He's doing, and walking out and never see that going on in my life. Wouldn't it be something else if you could shout and cheer about how good He is through you? how much He loves through you. Are you the picture of Jesus to your world? Is He doing the miraculous through you? Because in God's eyes, you are no different to Him than Jesus. He wants to embrace His world through you. He doesn't want your money. <laughs> He's not just happy that you come and we sing about Him and wow, praise, great praise and worship. See, this in here means nothing with that out there. I want to ask you this evening. Are you honoring Him? Not praise. See, Paul got into this. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 spiritual act of worship is all about what? Offering your bodies a living sacrifice. Not this. Not doing this kind of thing. But literally walking out in your world and saying, have your way in me. Have your way through me. The same kind of things that were going on inside of Jesus are the same kind of things that are going on inside of you. See, this is what he wants. This is the standard. Do you have that going on in your life, any I? You're my district, man. When it really comes down to it, I want to see the young women of my day the way he does. I want to see the young men of my day the way he does. When I'm sitting in there and I'm sitting around a group of guys and girls, I want to look dead in their eye, see the back of their skull the way that he does. Wouldn't it be something if you could burn for the kind of burn that he does? See, what's phenomenal about this week is most of you are Christians. I'm not ignorant. I know that. And I'm talking to you. What's going on in your life? Are you burning? Are you burning after Jesus? See, I've had to change my whole language. I meet girls. Hey, who's that guy? I saw you with this guy. You're holding his hand. And I used to say, is he a Christian? They said, yeah. I kind of stopped saying that. Because I have to say, is he a Christian? Yeah. Does he burn for Jesus? Well, but he's a Christian. What? That's what a Christian is. Do you burn for him? Wouldn't it be something if you long to see the, you long to see the movies that he saw? You long to laugh at the jokes that he laughed at. You long to be a part of the conversations that he was a part of. Does that grip you? See, this is the kind of stuff that he wants. 
We're going to be talking about this all in the morning sessions. You were created. My brother was created to be the image of God, that you are to look like him. You're to look like him. That when you walk down the streets of this campground and the teenagers look at you, whoa, there's something going on in you that looks like him. See, if we could just stop praising or maybe stop basing our life off of how much we go to church, how many worship bands we're in, how many quizzing talents, how, how many, how many uh, trophies we've won, how long we've been in the church. We can start judging our life off of the demonstration that we see through our lives of Him. He wants you to, he wants you to be His hand in His world. Is that going on in your life? See, that's what we're talking about this week. I would just be tickled pink if one or two or five, as many as need to, the band could come and lead us. I don't want to sing to him. I want to tell him how good he is. And I want to plain flat seek after him. This has been a tough six months. Because he has been revealing areas of my life which are embarrassing to me because I plain flat down to it don't look like him in areas of my life. You know you never outgrow that? Father, we love you this evening. Man was made in chapter 2 of Genesis God formed him out of the dust of the earth. He hollowed that boy out. He breathed in him the breath of life. And the Bible says he became a living soul, which is the word nephesh, which literally means throat. It's the word for food. He became a living hunger. Jesus, I give you permission in my life tonight. To remove whatever you need to remove until I become a living thirst after you. That whenever my name is mentioned, all that can go with it is that dude is burning after Jesus. That man is seeking after God. He is hungry. In fact, he's down to it desperate. He's a junkie. I'm so tired of looking like myself. I'm so tired of basing my life off of evangelism. I'm so tired of giving myself, getting my self-esteem off how many people I've led to you. I want to be a down to it. I want to be a thirst after you. I want to be a living heart burn after you. To the point, Father, where there is no difference between you and I. That if someone would say, would Jesus watch that movie? I could look at them and say, he is watching that movie. Would God be a part of that conversation? God is a part of this conversation. Father Paul looked at his world and said, follow me as I follow Christ. Could it be that I could walk so tight with you that literally to have the confidence to say, hey, just watch what I do and do it. 
I am nowhere close. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Youth pastor. That is our call. In the name of Christ Jesus, I tell you that is our call. Because they're going to listen to what you do more than what you say. They're not going to remember your sermons. They're going to remember the way you look like in teen activity. And I have come to learn in my life that what teenagers remember in these weeks are not necessarily my messages. They remember me out there hanging with them. Are you burning for Jesus? Are you down, flat out, running 100 mile an hour after Him? Would you seek? Teenager, that's what we're talking about all week. Young adult, peer, whatever you want me to call you. Church, would you hunger with me? Would you say, Jesus, turn me on to you? Whatever switch you have to just get in there and turn on, just turn me on for you, Jesus. So I'm the only thing you think about. Just do whatever you need to do in me so, God, I run after you like I run after nothing else in my life. I want to share with you tonight that if you don't have that going on, I'm not, hey, I'm not, I'm not ditching you. I'm not talking down on you. I'm certainly not pointing my finger at you. I'm going to say, hey, that can't happen tonight. It's okay. It's all right. Would you seek? You may have questions. You may have frustrations. You have, may have reservations. That's okay. Say, Jesus, I give you the opportunity this week to set some, set some things straight in my life. I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. Number one cry in Paul's life was, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I appreciate you. You are very, very attentive tonight. I want to be your biggest fan. I want to cheer you on this week. I want to stand behind you and root you because you're the future leaders of the church. Would you burn with me? Father, we love you this evening. I'm so hungry for you. Would you make me hungrier? Maybe that's what fasting is all about. Maybe fasting is taking physical food and setting it aside and says that doesn't even compare to my hunger after you. Would you make me as hungry as your son was? Because when it really comes down to it, I don't think I thirst like you thirst. We love you this evening. Have your way.